Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write us off. It's time for two stars. This is the weekly Nottingham Forest podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, Forest face the final furlong fairly fearlessly. We'll get the lowdown on Huddersfield and look ahead to Birmingham and ask, did they really play for Forest? Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Two Stars. Hey listener, hope you're well. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Joining me as ever are the Forest correspondent for The Athletic, Paul Taylor. Hi, Paul. Good morning. And the EST of F-O-R-E-S-T is Nick Miller. <laughs> what does EST stand for? EST. So this is uh, a wrestler called Bianca Belair who won the women's title at WrestleMania on Sunday. And her gimmick is that she is the EST of WWE. But the EST applies to uh, words like the best, the greatest, the toughest, the strongest. Anything that finishes in EST. It's actually quite a clever wordplay, I think. The hairiest, that kind of thing. But... You say that, she has got ridiculously long braided hair that she uses as a weapon to hit her opponents in a match. I'll send you some videos when we finish. Clearly. Enjoy them greatly. Um, no, yeah, excellent. You do, do I've, I've, uh, I'll, I'll watch those closely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, inspired by Paul's latest piece for The Athletic, which asks, if Forest supporters feel connected to the current team, we thought we'd kick off today with the top three favourite loan players list. In the PCC, Paul quotes Forest fan Peter Blackburn, who, on not being able to attend the games live and in living colour, says it's hard to have the same sort of relationship with the team if Cyrus Christie or James Garner don't play for Forest next season I might not think of them again but I still think about Nicky Shorey who had a nine game loan spell from Villa now uh, Damien chipped in on Twitter on this he said even though he was practically playing on one leg and for only five games Aaron Ramsey was far too good for us at that time uh, Dexter Blackstock for Bristol City at home alone and lastly when Pierce bought Nigel back from Man City 13 year old me was very happy I remember that as well I think I was 13 too uh, Bryn adds Miefsky was technically on loan in his first season. Does that count? <laughs> yes, it does, Bryn. Uh, again, somebody who Paul has recently spoken to for The Athletic. Let's get some advances on those names then, please. Uh, Paul, did you come up with Miefsky for yours? 
And Dexter. So, you know, there, there, there we go. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, Dexter Black Scott was incredibly important, wasn't yeah. he? You know, he, he was a cast off from, from QPR, essentially, even though he was doing well for them at the time. For some reason, bafflingly, they, they loaned him to Forest and he played a massive part in keeping us up that season. Yeah, just purely there's that goal against Bristol City, which is the memorable one for, for most people, I think. Just the, the celebrations after that and the kind of almost lift of this, you know, this huge outpouring of relief almost. that they, they, They'd got the three points that took them a massive step towards safety. It was it was a huge, huge moment. And then Dexter went on. I know he kind of left the club under a cloud a little bit because he did fade off towards the end of his Forest career. But prior to that, he was a very, very good player. It's, it's hard... <laughs> It's not hard to remember how good he was, but I, I think it's a little bit lost in, in in the kind of slow, gradual fade he had towards the end of his time at Forest. That how good he was during that that initial spell, particularly after he made the move permanent and and just was a regular in a clutch of uh, forwards that were very very good at that time. You know, he, he was getting in the side ahead of some very very good players and and deservedly so. So yeah, Dexter would be up there for me. So you got him, Raddy Majewski. Is your other pick from the Billy Davis era as well? Yeah, it just Raddy's got to be in there just purely because he, he was so good. You know, he he was the after I wrote that piece or in the process of writing that piece, I did look back at some video footage, and I'll be honest, I'd, I'd forgotten what a great little player he was. He was just superb. He was capable of the sublime and the ridiculous. He was just somebody that was exciting when he was in the mood. He wasn't always in the mood. He admitted it himself. There was there was times when he he wasn't quite at his best at every three or four games, he would just be absolutely brilliant. And they were the moments when you wanted to watch Raddy. Uh, I really liked him. Do you, do you want my third one as well? Yes, please. My third one is very, very predictable, I'm afraid. It's James Garner. Uh, I, I know it's a, a kind of a flat season and he, he, it won't be a season that's going to be remembered fondly for, for many Forest fans, not least because nobody's been there to actually see it firsthand. But I just look at him and think, blimey, you know, he is going to be a player. In, in a couple of years' time, I suspect he'll be uh, a, a key figure in the centre of that Man United midfield. He's that he's that good. He's got class. Some of his passing is outrageous. He's just all round a very, very good player. And I think Forrest have uh, been fortunate to have him even for this short spell. Hopefully, you know, it doesn't feel particularly likely, but hopefully they'll, they'll find a way to bring him back next season. But... Uh, even if they don't, I think there's got to be some fond memories there of a, a player who's got a very, very bright future ahead of him. Yeah, definitely a worthy addition to the list. Nick, who did you pick? Well, I mean, I think Darren Huckabee is probably the the the, the one that um, I remember the most fondly, and also there's a, a kind of profound sense of loss there that we didn't, you know, have him mm. for a bit longer. And yeah, he's on my list too. Yeah, probably could have signed him at the end of that season, but for reasons that we've that has been discussed many, many times, didn't. Um, I've also got uh, Robbie Blake, who was uh, Ooh, brilliant yeah, for yeah. Forest on a loan in about 2000, I think. I remember lots of kind of conversations in the uh, Brian Clough stand about basically you know pa- passing the hat around to to raise the money <laughs> to to sign him. I think he we, we he came sort of the year after um, all that money was jazzed on the Italians and um, a couple of other players. So there was a, a reticence to spend any more money, which is one of the reasons why he wasn't um, signed permanently. Um, similar era as well, I mean, maybe slightly after that, Stephen McPhail um, came in from Leeds for, for a little while and he I remember him, him being absolutely superb. Um, and then... Not necessarily that he was a, a brilliant player for Forrest or even stayed for, for that long, but just because I was so excited that Forrest signed him, Ian Wright 
he was, you know, he was only at Forest, we've discussed this before on this podcast, but he was only at Forest for, for a handful of games and, you know, didn't uh, scored a few goals, but I, I, I can't ever remember being as excited about uh, a, a Forest signing a player. And now that I'm 37 years old, I don't think I ever will be again. Well, <laughs> I'm 39 and I still fairly regularly just Google image Ian Wright Forest just to see a picture <laughs> of him in the Forest kit, which is... Fairly pathetic. Um, I also picked Darren Huckabee. I mean, it just felt right, didn't it? He was, he was a Nottingham boy, scored in his debut, scored against Derby, even scored against his beloved Norwich, and, and him and David Johnson and Marlon all together was just lovely. Um, I've also picked John Terry. Only played six games, but he was absolutely outstanding. Even then, Forrest didn't lose any match that he played in. Uh, and my other one is Ben Olsen, because, I mean, who didn't love Ben Olsen? Just a, a, an absolute sweetheart. And a bloke behind me in the Trent Hen. Every time he got the ball, would just shout out, "Go on, Yankee!" He's <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh. Uh, but there is, there's just something about those players who, it, it, when they really good players who were clearly too good for Forest in at a time when we were rubbish, you just kind of they they just sort of stand out like little beacons of light in an otherwise entirely mm. gloomy period. Mm, yeah, Matt Upson would have been one of them, but he went off after about 10 minutes of his debut and was never yeah. seen again. Uh, well, that was fun. Um, thrilling, maybe not, but neither was the game at Bristol City last weekend. We'll have oh. a brief chat about that next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. In the aftermath of last Saturday's draw at Ashton Gate, Paul penned a piece for the Athletic on Forest defensive solidity. Um, Paul, Bristol City didn't manage so much as a, as a shot on target. Was that down to Forest's sturdiness or, or their incompetence or, or that sweet mixture of both? Well, for the first quarter of the game, Forest were unbelievably dominant. It was about as dominant as I've seen them. They, they, they had 85% possession. Uh, for the first fifteen or twenty minutes, and I, it's been a long time since we've 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 seen that from a, a Forest team. But I, I think it was in equal measure, partly because Bristol City were clearly a team that was utterly, utterly devoid of any confidence or belief whatsoever. That kind of grew as the game went on, but partly also because Forest were very good for that twenty minutes. They they played very well for long spells, but just couldn't score. And it's never been more evident than in the game at Bristol City. They they almost completely dominated the first half, should have been a couple of goals up, didn't put any of their chances away. And that was basically that. Nigel Pearson sorted out Bristol City at half-time. It was far more of a contest in the second half and far more dull in the second half, but but nil-nil. It was the most nil-nil-nil ever in the in the end. It was, it was dour in the second half, but, you know, it could have been very different. But how many times have we said that this season? 
Uh, some defensive stats from Paul's piece for his 13th clean sheet of the season in the championship. In the past 23 games, the opposition have been allowed to score more than one goal only twice. Uh, Nick, we've we've spoken a lot about the likes of McKenna, Worrell, even Figueredo and, and Christie of late. But, but Tyler Blackett's emerged in the last couple of weeks and I, I kind of feel less concerned now about the possibility of Ribeiro leaving if, if he's going to be sticking around because he looks like a, a perfectly serviceable championship fullback. Yeah, uh, which is kind of interesting because he sort of historically hasn't really been a fullback. He's, um, he, he, I think he he played there a bit for Reading, but as um, uh, was kind of historically a, a centre back who seems to want to sort of reinvent himself as a as a left back. But yeah, I mean, as you say, um, it's, it's another of those players whose season has been kind of quite. Uh, you know, d- disrupted for various reasons due to injury and just you know being at Nottingham Forest. Um, so it's it, it, it's very good to see him playing well. And I mean, if if nothing else, it's a sort of sort of oddly reassuring that you kind of think, well, that might not be a position that they need to sign three players in the summer. This being Forest, they quite possibly will anyway. But um, any kind of hint towards stability. And you know the the idea that we don't need to churn um, the entire squad over again is is very welcome. You, you can mention the the sort of defensive some of the defensive stats there. I was looking at the the league table the other day. Forest have got the fourth best defense in the division in ter- in terms of just purely goals conceded. Which I mean, I I, I kind of I was obviously we obviously knew that uh, Chris Hewton had sort of shored things up and um, made Forest a lot tighter, but that's pretty remarkable and it, it, it is only the top three I think that uh, it, it actually in the actual league table that um, have got a better defensive record than Forrest so you know it's kind of panning out exactly as it was sort of trailed under under Hewton as, as we've discussed before solidity and then hopefully kind of building more on that in the future. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, Paul, from from the Bristol City game was Henry Lansbury, the the poster boy of the Fawaz era. I think of him <laughs> as um, he's he didn't work out from at Villa. It's fair to say no. he's been a bit of a divisive character wherever he's gone. How did he look in this game? I don't, I don't want to be harsh, but he, he was he, he was all right. <laughs> I was going to say bang average, which seems a bit harsh, but he, he didn't stand out. And do you know what? I used to really rate Henry when he was at Forest I thought he was very very good uh he he had you know like anybody else at Forest which seems to happen the moment they walked through the door he was largely inconsistent but when he was at his best he was he was very good indeed and uh I I it didn't feel like Villa was the best move for him to be honest I don't know why uh largely because he he, he seemed to have this knack of whenever Forest played anybody from London like one of the London teams he used to up his performance level about 20 times just you got the sense that he quite like a move back to the capital to be closer to home and every time they played Fulham or somebody like that he, he pulled out all the stops and was suddenly brilliant uh so I'm a bit surprised he didn't head head back to the capital at some point but you know yeah he, he wasn't particularly brilliant on Saturday I, I wouldn't be in a rush to kick down the door and try and sign him back at Forest but you know it feels like his career's gone a little bit off the rails, to be honest. He could have been better. Could have been a cult hero, Nick, couldn't he, at Forest? But I don't know whether it was the attachment to, to Fawaz. And by that, I mean, you know, when he signed the new contract and, and Fawaz went on Twitter and exclaimed that he basically saved Forest by signing Henry Lansbury up for a, a little bit longer. But he also he was capable of sort of ridiculous rushes of blood to the head and silly red cards and lack of discipline. And that's kind of, that's been the story of his career in a lot of ways. Yeah, he was the ultimate one of those players where occasionally you'd watch him and think, 
how is this guy in the championship? This guy, you know, he he should be running Arsenal's midfield and, you know, successor to Cesc Fabregas or something like that. And then five minutes later, we do something where you go, oh, yeah, okay, that's that's why. Um, yeah, a very frustrating player. One that I sort of, I could never quite tell if he was kind of worth the <laughs> worth the bother or not. Um, but yeah, like you said, didn't it didn't help him that he was so closely associated with that um, troubled era, shall we say. <laughs> Right, there are only five games left for the Reds this season. By the time we next meet, two of those will have been played. We'll look ahead to the matchups with Huddersfield and Birmingham next. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Nottingham Forest versus Huddersfield Town gets underway at the world-famous city ground at 12.30 UK time this coming Saturday. That's the 17th of April. Joining us now to look ahead to the game is Dave Hartrick. He's the author of a new book on Bobby Robson's England. He also covers Huddersfield Town for Opta. Um, Dave, Huddersfield made a reasonable start under Carlos Corberan, but especially since the turn of the year, it's it's tailed off alarmingly. Has there been a, a reason for that that you can put your finger on? Um, I think the thing about Corberan is he's in his first season in management and often it shows he's in an extremist stage. So he started... Uh, sort of promising attacking football and playing in a 4-3-3 and then they basically chucked a game away at Bournemouth away uh, he made I think eight changes nine changes something like that and his extreme reaction to that was to play the same first 11 for I think it was the next seven or eight games and he was only making subs after the 75th minute so they then lurched into a massive injury crisis because everybody was, he, he basically ran them into the red zone. And in the turn of the year, I think, I mean, at one point, I think they had basically 12 of the first team squad out. 
and he's in a sort of learning process himself. He's had to basically chuck all the attacking football to one side and he's gone to a very pragmatic style. But the simple problem with Huddersfield Town, and this goes back to the first, this goes back to the season they got promoted, never mind relegated and everything that's happened since. They just don't score enough goals. And they've only ever been beaten at home by a single goal this season. It's only the Bournemouth game they chucked away and the Norwich game where they've really been beaten out of sight. It, it's just they don't convert chances. And I think Fraser Campbell is... is he His position in that team is to be basically be a, a busy word I can't say on a podcast. <laughs> that is his role of in the side. And as great as that is... There's nobody else sort of dropping off him or getting into the spaces he's creating. So they signed Sonogo and they signed Nias after the transfer window has closed. They lost Nias straight away. And Sonogo is great, but we've realised he sort of does the same job as Campbell. Uh, you know, he holds the ball up and he wants people running off him. So it's the lack of goals that's killing him. And they, they lost Josh Caroma, who at the start of the season was their big like their big discovery. He was the one who took over Carl and Grant's role and he was a genuine game changer and then they lost him to injury and it's just, they've struggled since then, to be frank. Would you consider that, that Huddersfield are in a relegation fight now? And it's difficult to say before this Rotherham-Coventry game, um, which is happening tonight as we record, but but if Rotherham won that, they'd only be two points behind Huddersfield. I, I think yes and no, because Town have still got their destiny in their own hands because they've got to play Coventry at home and there is so much rubbish down the bottom end of that league that I honestly think one win should do it I think it's impossible to say they're not in a relegation fight but they really shouldn't be it's it's a marker of how badly the season's gone that we're even talking about this at this stage to be honest with you because their first 11 and their squad is a lower mid-table squad but the wheels have just come off quite spectacularly a couple of times and they've sort of they've been dragged down into it but i still think realistically they should beat commentary at home and that should be enough and i also think Rotherham as brilliant as they were the other night and they were great against town at the weekend they've basically got to produce a sort of automatic promotion run of form to get out of it before the end of the season i just i just can't see that to be frank Dave, at the start of the season when when Corberan was appointed, what were the kind of realistic expectations? Did did people expect you know a, a playoff push, mid table? I mean, presumably it's 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 they were they were expecting slightly higher than they are at the moment. But what was kind of the realistic thought at the time? Well, <laughs> it's quite a loaded question, that Nick, because last season was. An odd season. The Cowleys came in when Jan Sievert, who, bless him, was, was the right man, but very much at the wrong time, came in and they lost all those games. And the Cowleys came in, I think it was two points after 11 games. And the whole season was about recovering from that point. And if COVID haven't hit, it unfortunately came when Town were in a really good moment. They'd just lost 2-0 to Leeds, but they'd just produced their two best performances of the season against Bristol and Charlton. I mean, their XG against Charlton was four point something. It was an extraordinary game. So then COVID hits and the Cowleys are brilliant managers, but what the Cowleys are really good at is when the games are coming thick and fast, 
the more time Danny Cowley has to think about things, the less effective he is sometimes. And I don't mean that as a criticism, but he's a manager who just loves the work, you know, and, and having a really long delay like that hurt him. And they came back and they played some awful football, really dreadful football. So they parted company with the Cowleys, and the problem was that the club came out, Lee Bromby, Mark Devlin, Phil Hodgkinson, the chairman, all came out with the, the stated aim that they were basically starting a revolution that would see them eventually become a top 30 side in the country, which is still a mantra they're aiming for. But also, there was no real season expectation other than they were going to start playing really exciting, interesting, attacking football. So the expectation this year from that was, well, even if we finish mid-table, we're going to have some fun along the way, which we've not had for the last few years. The problem is they did that for a time and only in spells in games, and they've still had to revert back to uh, some really attritional game plans to just try and drag themselves over the line. So in a weird way, there was no stated aim and yet they've still fallen below it. <laughs> um, and it, it's, they're an odd club. They, nothing is too far away. Everything is sort of nearly there. But the problem is when you have loads of small problems, what you actually have is one big problem, isn't it? And that's what they're fighting against at the moment. Sounds familiar. Um, Davey, <laughs> you, cover, you cover Huddersfield, but you're a Brighton fan. What, what have you made of, of Chris Hewton getting the band back together at Forest? We've got Knockart, Bong, Glenn Murray. It's like Brighton five years ago, basically. Yeah, I, the thing is, I sort of understand it because I think the position he came in, like you were most definitely looking over your shoulder and starting to worry about what was going on. And I completely understand the sort of thinking behind, right, I'm going to go and get three or four people I trust uh, and get them into the first 11 and who are going to play my football. And that's what Hewton's all about. He's all about the, he's all about the game plan. He's all about having 11 people who may not be the most talented in the world, but will see through from start to finish what he wants them to do. He often likes to play, when he was at Brighton, he liked 10 players who did that and Anthony Knockhart as the, the wild card. So it was no surprise to me that he was delighted to be managing Anthony Knockhart again, to be honest. But yeah, Gaishin Bong is an interesting player, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> interesting is not the word we've often used here to describe him on this pod. Paul, Paul, does that chime with you and what, what your experience of watching Newton's Forest has been, that it's, you know, it's more about the, the collective than the individual? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the one thing out of that whole scenario at the minute that's the biggest disappointment is that Anthony Knockhart really hasn't done it for Forrest so far. Mm. He's he's had flashes where you think, yeah, there's a good player there, but it, it, too often he's been inconsistent and his final ball hasn't been good enough. He's He is a bit of a maverick, but he is just sometimes that little bit too selfish. There's moments where he could pass it and he doesn't. He just tries to beat one more man. Uh, it just feels like he's trying a little bit too hard. So, I don't know what the future holds for him, to be honest. Was he like that to any degree at Brighton? Was there inconsistency there? Then, yeah. Or was it just... <laughs> I just had a wry smile when you said he tried too hard because the thing about him is he's just he, he's just a ball of emotion, basically. And when he... He had a tough time at Brighton for a while when his father died and, and what have you, and that showed in the way he played on the pitch. But, yeah, he... He gets himself into a sort of 
weird uh, mindset where he thinks he has to do it all himself and it's he's a brilliant player and he's genuinely one of the most talented players I've ever seen in a Brighton shirt I mean he would be top five without a shadow of a doubt but in a <laughs> on the other hand of that I wasn't too disappointed to see him go because because of that he does hold on to it a bit too long he does take the shot from a ridiculous angle when he could square it and it's not the th- the weird thing is it's not selfishness it's not driven by personal glory it is genuinely just this sort of real desire will to help out to do something and i think that Hewton is probably the manager that has harnessed him the best i know leicester fans look back very very fondly but they had the excuse of saying well this is just a sort of rambunctious kid whereas we had him as a as a grown footballer and in the championship he was absolutely superb but He's also on the other side of the hill now. You know, he's there's no doubt and he's lost a yard of pace and he's lost a little bit of touch. And having watched him a couple of times in a forest shirt this season, it does it does make me feel a little bit sad that he hasn't quite got that sort of speed of thought anymore. Uh, Dave, before we let you go, you've written a book on uh, on Bobby Robson's England, um, a squad that actually, from time to time, contained a number of forest players. Tell us a bit more about the book and how we can get hold of it. Well, basically, I, I, as Mr. Miller there knows, I'm a bit of a Bobby Robson fan and have been all my life. Um, and I wanted to just write about his eight years in charge of England, 82 to 90. And uh, it'd be fair to say it was busy. <laughs> and um, a lot happened in that decade sort of off the pitch as well, which we go into in the book that affected Robson's team and his selections. And it's called Silver Linings. It's out via pitch publishing. It's out on April the 26th. And... Yeah, I'm in, I'm in that sort of mode at the moment where I'm absolutely terrified other people are now going to read it. <laughs> if I can offer any reassurance, uh, it, it is excellent. And uh, uh, let me say, uh, absolutely enormous relief that it's excellent as well because it would have been really awkward <laughs> if it was rubbish. <laughs> Thank you very much, mate. Hi, praise indeed. Um, Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. We, we wish you well for the rest of the season. See you later. Dave Hartrick there. Follow him on Twitter at David Hartrick. Uh, briefly then on this game, Paul, in terms of team news, I noticed that Aman Fuad Bashiru is fit. I mean, these last few <laughs> games of the season, there's not much at stake. Maybe give him a run out just to prove he exists, if nothing else? I don't think they can, because uh, I think they've used all, all of the places in the squad now. So that unless... Uh... I, I, I don't think him or Harry Arter are going to be seen for, for love and the money until next season at the very earliest, if ever again at all. Uh, Two transfers that went brilliantly. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I, know, I know I always say this, but Harry Arter still baffles me because his his recent history and his, his longer history as well show that he's a very accomplished championship player. He only won promotion last season and, and he's done it before that as well. So I, I, I don't know why, I can't figure out why he hasn't found a niche or an opportunity at Forest. I guess saturation is probably the simple answer in that he's one of 27 central midfielders they've got. But, you know, he is ostensibly a very good championship player and he's just never really looked like it at Forest to a point where, you know, he could disappear into the ether without ever really making a proper mark on the team. It's it's a very odd one for me. I don't, it's one of the more mystifying signings they've made in recent years and there's been plenty of those. So no Basharu, no Arta on Saturday, Nick. But whoever Forrest put out, they should be able to beat Huddersfield, shouldn't they? They're in rotten form. They've just been gubbed 7-0 by <laughs> Norwich. They can't score for Toffee. Home win? 
My God, have you learned nothing? I shouldn't have said any of that. Should <laughs> no. I? What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, in in theory, all of that is true. Um, but you know, I mean, I mean, as we we heard we heard from Dave there that you know Huddersfield Huddersfield's biggest problem is not scoring goals, and you know Forest's biggest strength is not conceding goals. So logically, then uh, you know we we shouldn't be in too much danger for this one. But um, you know, who knows? Um, it's 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 slightly difficult to see what. I mean, usually in these kind of games that, you know, barring something extraordinary are essentially kind of meaningless for Forrest, you'd think, well, you know, a bit of experimentation, give some give some of the kids a go, something like that. But I, don't, I'm, I, I'm, I was trying to think about this earlier and slightly struggling to, to think of what kind of experimentation beyond trying to some kind of finagle some admin to get Bashiru a go. It's, it's a little bit difficult to work out what they can do because the, the promising young players that might have a, a future beyond this season are either, you know, Alex Mighton, who's already in the first team, or out on loan at various places. Mm. So, I don't know. It, it's, it, it is slightly difficult to, to figure out what kind of, you know, funky stuff that Hewton uh, could try in these games. Maybe it's just a case of... Um, using these five games as sort of extended training sessions in preparation for mm. next season, just kind of keep hammering away at this solidity and, and trying to make sure that it's kind of second nature to the, the players that are already there, you know, use it to uh, enhance what is already looking a pretty good central defensive partnership between Warren and McKenna. I don't know, maybe give Lyle Taylor a, a few more games to, to, keep him a bit happy but other than that I was struggling to think of um, what kind of interesting things that it might be able to do with the last few games of the season there is Loy can be so but as you say yeah. that there's 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 Worrell and McKenna who look like an outstanding partnership but it surprised me when I looked up how many games have actually played together I think it's only seven at this point so you know while that is a really promising partnership and it looks really really something to be enthusiastic about then are you better off just giving them the chance to play another four or five games together and evolve that even more rather than bringing in MB so just to give a young lad a chance it's it's a tough call really isn't it? it they've kind of built this defensive solidity and you almost don't want to mess with it in the final weeks of the season when you know they finally found a bit of consistency so after Huddersfield Forest go to Birmingham on Wednesday night could have been a massive game a couple of months ago but both sides have really picked up Paul we, we talk about this building for next season and, and managers of teams firmly in mid-table are obliged to, to say that. And I always think it rings a little bit hollow. <laughs> that is until last season, where you think, well, Forrest was so spectacularly dreadful, it had such long ramifications that it went into next season. They ended up having to change yeah. the manager after a handful of games, and the season's been a write-off since then. So actually, maybe it is quite important to, to get something from these last five games. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote a piece on that recently. I, you know, that, that huge, spectacular flop at the end of the season left a massive hangover. It really did. You know, it had a long-lasting impact. It cast a shadow, however you want to put it. There was, It, it really ran through the core of the club for a long time. And I, I asked Chris Hewton about it, and he, he agreed, you know, if the opposite could also be true. If they can finish this season strongly, I, I don't want to use phrases like they can build, you know, foundations for next season or something to build on or things like that. But it is true. If they, if they, Finish this season strongly. They're only going to be confident and, and and full of belief going into the into the new season. In contrast to last year, when you know they just started the new campaign, looking like they were still feeling sorry for themselves. And 
Forest really don't need that if if they are going to achieve anything next season. And I I don't want to go into a whole new debate about parachute payments and the advantage that teams coming down have. But the fact is, they probably are going to be competing only for a top six place rather than realistically for the top two. So they're, they're going to need to make a very, very good start just to stay on the shirt tails of of those teams coming down. Because I, I can imagine whoever it is out of the group that are fighting relegation in the Premier League at the minute are going to be very, very strong uh, if they do end up in the Championship. It's going to be a tough season next season. Sure is. Uh, lastly, on Birmingham, Nick, as I say, big uptick in, in their form since Lee Bowyer came in. Do you think Aitor Karanka might be finished as a, as a championship manager now because he, he left Forest in slightly sour circumstances and this was a stinker of a spell at Birmingham? Yeah, it is difficult to see what kind of club that are going to give him a job now. I suspect he would be, while he has clearly... Um, have designed his career to be managing in England I suspect he'll have to sort of go elsewhere to to get a job at any kind of um, club with any sort of vague status at all um, although Birmingham generally speaking is a bit of a black hole for managerial talent and talent in general that yeah, that's not many people survive there not many people that thrive there sorry and even when they do thrive like uh, Gary Rowett a few years ago they get sacked anyway so it's uh, <laughs> it's he could argue that it was a bit of a sort of hiding to nothing to, you know, that it, it, lots of people don't succeed and that shouldn't necessarily put a stain on his reputation. But I struggle to think who's going to give him a job after after that. Uh, well, Forrest have lost on each of their last three visits to St Andrews and haven't won there since 2015. So uh, due a positive result, I think it's fair to say. That game in the West Midlands kicks off at 7.45. We'll be reacting to it just hours later in next week's pod. All right, we're almost done for this week, but there is, of course, still time for this. Yes, it's did they really play for Forest? Paul smiling all over this Zoom because he's in good form. Nick, you're the host. Tell us how it works for anybody new to the pod. Uh, this is a, a former Forest player who's kind of perhaps well known in other circles, and we might have forgotten that they have played for Nottingham Forest. I uh, will provide clues in the form of five pieces of information starting with the most difficult and probably going to the um, almost certainly <laughs> easiest yeah um this one i'm not sure about this one i'm not sure whether this is really easy or really difficult so but let's find out um so okay clue number 1 i made my forest debut in a game where kevin campbell scored a hat trick okay uh okay i think i've got the game uh no, we've had him before, so it can't be him. Did we sign that summer? Okay. All right, I've got a guess, Paul, have you? No. No, not this time. Okay, I'm going to guess Alf Inga Harland. That is incorrect. Clue number two. I spent... Sorry, just... But, 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 do you know Brian Clough signed Alf Inga Harland? I didn't, uh, didn't Did realise this, and I was... <laughs> yeah, I was looking this up. Uh, for some reason, I was looking something up to do with Alfie Holland the other day. Picture of him, you know, smiling with Cluffy in his last days. Anyway, um, just imagine Nigel and Carolyn Radford now on on the phone to Mino Raiola. Hey, we, we've got history, <laughs> by the way. I don't know if Erling fancies coming down to Field Mill, but you know, it's a, we'll give you the tour at least. <laughs> uh, clue number two: I spent the majority of my career at Real Oviedo, but I am not Spanish. Ooh. Oh. Oh, oh Paul's got something. Yeah, there's a bell ringing. I, uh, do, do you know what? It's 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 there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's right um, there. It's not Carlos Marino because he 
he is Spanish. No, uh, yeah, uh, he is Spanish, but that's not the answer. Uh, okay. Paul, uh, the, Paul Taylor's head is in his hands. <laughs> I can see this is causing him physical pain, which frankly yeah. is the aim of this for me. <laughs> my my pre my pre game cockiness was yep. vastly unmerited. Hubris, mate. Hubris. Uh, right. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, I haven't got a guess. I think I know the game. I think I know the season. But I can't think of the player. So let's have another clue. Unless, Paul, you want to no. guess. No. The anguish that Paul suffers what? is it, it Paul, sort of makes it worth it every week in a perverse way. <laughs> Paul, I want to say Porfirio. Porfirio? Hugo? Hugo Porfirio? Yeah. That is incorrect. Mm. Yeah, was uh, later, he, was, he was slightly after that. He was um, in Rackinson's season. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, clue number three. I represented my country at Euro '96. Okay, right. We've got to get this, Paul, uh, because Yerkan. It is Nikola Yerkan. Oh. Well done, Paul. Oh, lovely stuff. Uh, the, played uh, at the City Ground, didn't he? At Euro '96. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, he would have done. Against yeah. Portugal. Possibly. Mm. Um, wasn't it? It was it was Croatia Portugal. Croatia uh, Portugal and Croatia Turkey were both at the city ground. Though, right. Yeah. Mm. Um, the remaining clues would have been: I was signed by Frank Clark, but as Wikipedia very kindly put it, I fell out of favour under Dave Bassett. And <laughs> the final clue would have been: I am now a scout for the Croatian FA. He was pretty good, wasn't he? Yeah, can did he get mm. an injury that kind of spoiled it a bit, or am I misremembering? I seem to think I he think, was decent. I think he was kind of uh, slightly. Bafflingly signed. I think he, he, without getting too sort of uh, Michael Cox tactical nerdy about this, he was a he was a kind of a sweeper in a back three, and yeah, he was thrown into a very much a back four for Forest and didn't do brilliantly. Um, so I think that was that was possibly the, his his primary problem uh, among a few others. That game that you mentioned, uh, Kevin Campbell scored a hat trick. That was Coventry away opening day, right? Yep. Yep. And he he got a hat-trick then and he got one more goal and he finishes Forest top scorer for that season, I remember, which of course <laughs> is the same as we have now with four goals. That's right, isn't it? Taylor's still yeah. on four and own goals still on four. So Grabbing as well as on four. Oh, lovely. The more things change, et cetera, <laughs> and so on. Oh, well, that was still quite a... Still time for one way. of them to get into double figures before the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's still time, but not much likelihood. Uh, Paul, what have you been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy, please? Uh, we've uh, done that piece today about, you know, I, I was interested to see if there's any disconnect between Forest fans and the team, just purely because of life at the minute. You know, they're not allowed in the stadium. They're not allowed to go and watch games at the city ground. There's there's a large core of players who could even play an entire season of football for Forest without ever being seen by fans. They could disappear off into the wilderness without ever playing a game in in front of a full city ground, which seems a bit odd to me. And I, I was curious to find out if there was any, if that was, you get the sense that this team isn't particularly well liked. I know that's only off social media and it's hard to use that as a barometer all the time because it's a cesspit of misery half the time, but that's the only real barometer we've got. And it, it's, it's really tough to try and assess how fans feel about this team. So I asked a few fans, I spoke to a few players about it and uh, yeah, that we've ended up with that. Uh, I've also got a nice piece coming up about David McGoldrick in terms of uh, him being clearly a very, very talented player who's gone on to play in the Premier League, do very well, play for Ireland, 
but for some reason never never quite hit the heights at Forest, and I, I was also curious as to why that was. So we, we've had a look at that as well. Good, looking forward to reading that. Uh, Nick, you have been writing about championship matters, but absolutely not championship matters that concern Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I've um, done a handy guide to the promotion race in the last um, five games of the season, five or six games for some teams. Um, basically looked at the current top seven, um, because Cardiff probably out of it by now, and uh, assessed why they uh, would go up, why they wouldn't go up. The answer to the latter question for Norwich is very short, um, obviously, <laughs> and uh, looked at what they might be like in the Premier League next season. So that's available for uh, Athletic subscribers now. And if you are not one of those, go to theathletic.com slash forestpod for all the info on how to sign up. And many thanks for your company today, listener, and to the chaps and to producer Lucy for making it all possible. We'll catch up with you again next week. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas, and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level, and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although striker A squandered a gilt-edge chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic.